Welcome back and welcome to all the new members of the Facebook group, the Business Bookshelf Facebook group, which has been up and running for a few weeks now. I'm starting to get some good conversation about books that people are reading, podcasts that people are listening to. If you haven't already joined, where have you been? We're missing you. Come and join into the conversation. The link is in the show notes. Just click it and you'll be able to access the group. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Now, this book, it's had a little bit of criticism in the press, and I was reading a couple of articles, which I might actually link to in the show notes, around some of the criticisms of Johan's work in this particular area. But that said, and with those caveats in place, I still think it's one of the most important books that almost anyone can read, because it really is a bit of a state of humanity, society, and the way that we are currently living and how that is not good for our mental health and therefore our physical health and all the other things that come with it. For me, it was really interesting and really thought-provoking as well. It really did make me think about how I connect, how I live, some of the things that make me feel up, things that make me feel down, some of the people I know and love and have lived with and um, friends with who have suffered from mental health issues and how some of the stories and evidence presented in the book really resonated with some of the experiences more indirectly, but also some direct experience I've had with those who do struggle with some of these challenges from a mental health perspective, and how the way of living doesn't really support good mental health a lot of the time. So whilst this isn't strictly a business book, I think it's one that is incredibly relevant because mental health and well-being is an incredibly important topic. It's one that's getting a lot of attention, rightfully so in the business press and in the business world. A lot of workshops being run, a lot of more attention being put by not just HR teams, but leadership teams and leaders more generally and managers on looking after their team's well-being and mental health. A lot of the way we work also doesn't support necessarily great mental health. We'll talk about that as we go through the episode. So again, looking at this from a leadership perspective as from a team perspective will also be incredibly useful but also just from your own mental health and well-being and and life perspective more than anything else anyway without further ado let's as usual jump into the book and live with a little bit first of all about the author johan hari is the author of two new york times best-selling books his first chasing the scream the first and last days of the war on drugs is currently being adapted into a major Hollywood feature film and into a non-fiction documentary series. I'm looking forward to watching that. He gave one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time. His talk, Everything You Know About Addiction Is Wrong, has, along with the animation based on it, been viewed more than 25 million times. There's a link to that in the show notes. Johan was twice named National Newspaper Journalist of the Year by Amnesty International. He has also been named Cultural Commentator of the Year and Environmental Commentator of the Year at the Comment Awards. He lives half the year in London and spends the other half of the year travelling to research his books. And that information came from Johan Hari's website. A link to that is in the show notes. A little bit about the book. Depression and anxiety are now at epidemic levels. But why? Across the world, scientists have uncovered evidence for nine different causes. Some are in our biology, but most are in the way that we are living today. In this New York Times best-selling book, lauded by everyone from Oprah to Elton John, offers a radical new way of thinking about this crisis. It shows that once we understand the real causes, we can turn to pioneering new solutions, ones that offer real hope. And the source of that information is from thelostconnections.com. Again, link is in the show notes. 
Now, like I said, there are a couple of criticisms of, of the book, more a couple of the stories shared and a couple of things that seem to have been over-exaggerated to make a point. Not necessarily that they're factually incorrect, but they've probably been taken a bit too far. I will link to that article uh, with the criticism of the book because I think it's relevant when you're reading the book to have that particular context or view in mind. There's also another article I'll link to from the bad science author Ben Goldacre, which goes into a little bit more of the science and evidence or lack of evidence around serotonin and serotonin levels in the brain being the cause of depression, which is one of the bigger points of this book. But without further ado, let's go into three big ideas I took from the book Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Big idea number one was the drugs don't work. And it's a criticism as in this chapter or this part of the book, is a criticism of doctors just dosing people without going deeper. So just popping people onto antidepressants without asking the question of why they could be depressed or sad or upset in the first place. There's a lot in here about depression, and again, there's on a spectrum of depression, but sadness, depression, actually just being part of the human condition. At what point does something become from sadness to depression? And what point does that then become something that's not normal and there are various checklists that have been developed by health professionals over the years but again as they get tweaked and changed a bit more it seems the trend is to be putting more people or diagnosing more people with depression and therefore putting them on to more pills there are some links and some examples and stories in the book around the link to then the drug companies and some of the questions there about around the efficacy of the drugs in particular around the side effects versus the real effect. There's a point in the book where it talks about that side effects of antidepressants are very real. So some of the physical and emotional things that people suffer with as a result of taking antidepressants versus the real effect of them and how much of that is placebo and therefore wears off over time. So it might have a seemingly real impact at first, but how much of that is based on science versus marketing by the drug companies. And there were examples of where drug companies have actually been sued or or fined as a result of pretty shaky science or evidence around the claims that they make around some of the antidepressants. Now, the underlying myth that surrounds this or underneath this is that the serotonin myth. Again, this book isn't the first or the only place that is revealing the, the serotonin myth, but actually, even as someone who I feel has read about these kind of things quite a lot, I was still under the impression, possibly naively, that depression was almost purely chemical, that it was a chemical imbalance and therefore needed some good old drugs to rebalance the serotonin in people's brain. Turns out that's pretty shaky from a scientific perspective and so I found that part of the book particularly insightful. Now, whilst the author is criticising doctors willy-nilly giving out antidepressants and again I'm paraphrasing very much there but giving out antidepressants without asking the deeper question to me that really triggers a bigger question about health services how they're funded the time that doctors have to actually even spend with patients and the lack of that time to even ask those other questions around well, what else is going on what else could be causing your depression and linking back to some of these nine causes which we'll go into in the ne- in the next big idea it does come back to the point that depression is more than just a biological imbalance. It's a bigger, more societal issue. And therefore, big idea number one, the drugs don't work. Now, obviously a caveat here, this podcast is purely sharing some of the lessons and ideas that I took from the book. Please don't take this as medical advice. Please read the book and get your own information from other sources about these kind of things. 
Big idea number two, the power of disconnection. Now, in the book, Johan Hari argues that there are nine real reasons for depression. And that is disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from other people, disconnection from meaningful values, disconnection from childhood trauma, or really addressing the childhood trauma, disconnection from status and respect, disconnection from the natural world, and disconnection from a hopeful and secure future. The other two areas are the real role of genes and brain. In those seven areas of disconnection, you can just see the people around you, yourself, in the stories that he is telling. So for example, that disconnection from meaningful work with a lot of, and in Australia, this is definitely a challenge around sham contractors, people working for zero hour contracts. I know that's a big problem in the UK as well. People who don't have secure, meaningful work, those who are underemployed as well. So students, for example, this is a a growing problem. Students graduating with these big degrees and all this debt and having to go in and be very underemployed because there are not enough graduate roles for for them and it's too competitive and etc, etc. So all of those things, you can just see how society is perpetuating that kind of problem and also why not having meaningful work can be incredibly draining. And I've seen that in people quite close to me. So there's a there's a quote in the book where it says, when work is enriching, life is fuller. And that spills over into the things you do outside of work. But when it is deadening, you feel shattered at the end of the day, just shattered. And I've seen that and there's probably most of us have experienced that in some way, work that really just sucks your soul. And you go home, and particularly if you're underemployed in those areas, You go home and even though you haven't really used your brain all day, you're just exhausted because you've just been so understimulated all day. And you can see how over time, it's one thing if you're doing that as a bit of a short-term means to an end, there's some, again, it comes back to that idea of a hopeful and secure future, that you might be able to stick that out for a period of time. But if that's what you can see as your future, it would be incredibly depressing and and have that that impact. The challenge with a lot of these is that they perpetuate each other and you end up in a vicious cycle. So if you're shattered at the end of the day of your day of unmeaningful work or un- being undervalued or underemployed, you might not then want to go and see other people, which is then one of the other challenges around disconnection from other people is a big problem. So if you don't have a fulfilling job, you then don't want to go and see other people at the end of the day because you're just too shattered and just want to go and exist. Or maybe sit in front of the TV and watch something mindless to take your mind off of that reality. Then of course, all these things are going to to build on each other. Similarly, the the disconnection from the natural world, all of us will know that, all of us will know about how good we feel when we do get out in nature, when we do go for a weekend away, when we do, do go out for a walk or a hike or do something that involves not just being in cities in the whole time. Whilst I love a city, I do know that every so often I need to get out to feel better and feel more alive and feel more human again. And again, the way that societies and cities in particular have changed, and there's some, some interesting history in the book around the impact and there's some studies they've done on people who still lived in the country versus or in villages etc versus those who lived in the city and when people move and when industrialization was kicking off and people were moving around a bit more there's some interesting studies then around the impact of that on people again not just from necessarily a connection to the natural world but also with other people because in a village scenario you're more likely to know your neighbors connect with them, see them in passing than we do in our apartment living city life. Whilst I mentioned earlier the question around serotonin and serotonin levels having seemingly shaky 
impact or connection to mental health and depression. Johan does talk about the real role of genes in the brain and how sometimes you are more likely or more predisposed to become depressed or to suffer from depression if you have certain genes and how much of that is hereditary versus how much of that is acquired in some ways over time or certain events can trigger things. Ultimately where this is getting to though is it's a biopsychosocial model. So rather than just saying, right, this is a problem that just needs medication, they're looking at the biological, the psychological and the social model. There's some really interesting research in the book that he talks about around people who had good support network, which may include friendship groups or a support, supportive partner, will considerably less likely to become depressed even when faced with very difficult life situations so that was big idea number two the challenge with disconnection big idea number three is the joy of reconnection and this is really the opposite of big idea number two the disconnection is a lot of the problems and the causes of our issues and mental health challenges and the antidote to that is reconnection now that can feel quite hard because if you're in a bit of a pit in life in the way you're feeling pulling yourself to reconnect with others to get into nature to do some of those things is very difficult because you don't have the energy or the mental capacity to do that so again there's there's some really good examples in the book and some examples of where people have just tried one small thing and again it's that compound effect similar to similarly to the vicious cycle in the disconnection that one thing can disconnection from one thing can lead to another so can reconnection. So really this is the reverse of everything in, in lesson number two. So it's a reconnection with meaningful work. How can you pull yourself into something that is more meaningful? And maybe that's not even from a paid work perspective. Maybe that, for whatever reason, still has to suck for a bit or will take slightly longer to resolve. But you can. is there a volunteering opportunity? Is there something else where you can create and find some meaningful work or find more meaning in your existing work? reconnecting with other people, getting into nature, dealing with childhood trauma, getting over the obsession with self, so being more selfless. On the one on the natural world, you may have already seen, probably 18 months ago now, doctors in Scotland started to actually prescribe people a walk or getting away in nature or going away for a weekend or whatever it is. It's popping up, I'm seeing, I've seen a few places now, people are actually offering that as a service to take people back to nature to help people reconnect with themselves, with nature, with just being part of humanity and the natural world. There was a great story in the book about a cow and how when the author was going through Southeast Asia, he was talking to doctors in Cambodia. And in Cambodia, they still have some problems with landmines that are hidden and often people working in the rice paddies unfortunately might tread on one and, and end up losing a limb. And there was a farmer who was working in the rice Paddies and unfortunately lost his bottom of his leg to the landmine. Now he had to go back and all he'd ever done is, is work the rice paddies. So they gave him his prosthetic leg. He went back into the paddies and because the paddies are very wet, his leg was very, very sore and it was incredibly painful. It was very uncomfortable and he just couldn't stop crying. He was so sad and obviously had lost his own identity, his meaning, the meaningful work. He was in a lot of pain. Things weren't going well for this, this poor guy. So when he went to the doctor and explained his symptoms, they, and what is this, this quick side note, when Johan Hari went to speak to the doctors, he asked them what they do for antidepressants. They actually didn't really even understand what he meant by antidepressants because it's not a thing. 
they deal with it in a very human holistic way. So going back to this guy with the, the rice paddy and his, his lost foot, he went to the doctor, he explained his symptoms. And what they did was in the, in the community, they bought him a cow. They clubbed together and they got him a cow because cow farming or cattle farming, which he could do, was in the dry. He didn't have to spend as much time on his prosthetic leg. It was drier conditions, obviously, which didn't cause as much discomfort and pain. And he had meaning again. So within a short period of time of tending to this cow and having this new work, he had recovered, in, for want of a better word, from his depression because he had meaning. He had connected with others. People had heard him. They'd understood how he felt. They had helped him get back on his feet, no pun intended, and they had given him connection again. Now, whilst you might not want to get your depressed friend a cow, probably won't help the situation. It's really the message, the underlying lesson there around understanding the person's perspective, the empathy that comes with that. What is really going on? Because it's probably not what's on the surface. So that reconnection with others, reconnection with other meaningful work, other people, meaningful values, addressing childhood trauma, reconnecting with that status and respect and letting go of the need for self a lot of the time, reconnection with the natural world and a vision for a more hopeful and secure future is incredibly important. It really does speak to some of the success that has been seen, particularly in Australia, around Are You OK Day and things like that, because it's all about reconnection. It's all about having a better conversation, which is something we're not always very good at doing. Not always very good at having some of those difficult conversations or even just asking if someone's OK. We'll go six months maybe without speaking to some of our friends very innocently, not because we mean to or not because we're terrible humans, but because life gets in the way. And usually the life that is stopping us reconnecting in the way or connecting in the way that we are designed to and we have evolved doing. So that was big idea number three, the joy of reconnection. There's a lot in this book, like I said, and I would really recommend it to almost anyone. If you've indirectly experienced mental health challenges, if you've directly experienced mental health challenges, even if you haven't, read the book because there is something really in there for everyone. Now, of course, if those of you who maybe are struggling a bit more, read this and talk to someone that is relevant. Talk to your doctor, talk to your psychiatrist, talk to whoever is supporting you because there's probably some ideas in here that you'll find really powerful and really useful. For those of you who are managers, leaders, etc. and thinking about this from a work perspective, think about how the work that you are asking people to do is bringing them meaning. Sometimes you might help, have to help them find the meaning. How is the work they're doing impacting the customers? How is it impacting the end user? How is it impacting the rest of the organization? Because when people feel like their work is meaningless, whether it is or not, it will be meaningless. So help people find the meaning in their work. Also think about your, your workforce and are you creating an environment where people can exist in a healthy way? There's a quote in the book, and I don't have it here to hand, around how if society is sick, being well adjusted to that or being adjusted to that sickness doesn't make you well. It just means you're adjusted to a sick society, which isn't a great place to be. And I think that's where we are probably seeing people coming across as resilient and all the rest because they can deal with this these ways of living that we live that actually aren't great. So maybe we shouldn't be applauding that. Maybe we should be seeing those who are struggling a bit more as a big warning sign that we actually all need to do something different and we all need to change. So there we go. Those are the three big ideas I took from the book Lost Connections. It was a bit of a deep and meaningful one this week. And like I said, please don't take this anything as uh, medical advice or anything like that, but go and read the book. Go and find out a little bit more about some of the studies and examples shared in there and go and have a conversation with someone. I think it's going to be 
I think this is a book that would really open up fantastic conversation with friends, family, etc. If you have read the book, if you found it as profound and thought-provoking as I did, let me know. Join the Facebook group, Steph's Business Bookshelf Book Club. Link is in the show notes and I would love to hear from you. Otherwise, until next time, happy reading. <laughs>